Following Jesus is a journey, and we want to help you through that journey any way we can. We pray that you grow in your walk with God through this message today. So prepare your heart and mind for this teaching by our discipleship pastor, Adam Scott. All right, anybody else totes stressed out this morning? Anybody about your quiet time? Yeah, good job. You did not answer that. That's wonderful. Uh, hey, I'm going to work totes stressed out into my sermon as many times as I possibly can today. But uh, we're going to talk a little bit about your quiet time, your devotion. Even if nobody sees it, it has value. And we're going to come back to that in just a minute. Hey, before we jump into things, though, I want to encourage you to be praying for Mike. Um, he is away with uh, Tim Smith, our former groups pastor that retired uh, just recently. Uh, they're off in Nepal ministering to the people over there. So be praying for them as they travel and, and uh, just enjoy that time of, of ministry to a different group of people, specifically Kevin and Cynthia Weldon. Hey, we're, uh, we're in the middle of this series called The Playbook. And the idea behind this series is that we want to get you in the Word of God. Um, we have made available um, a, a New Testament challenge. It's a Bible reading plan that's on our app and our website. You can jump in at any time. If you've gotten behind on it, that's okay. We're not going to beat you over the head with the Bible. We're not that kind of church. We're just going to encourage you to pick it up today and start reading through it. And I promise you, um, if you'll do that, God will do something amazing with that time that you commit to Him each and every week. Today, we're going to be talking about one of the stories that we read this past week. And that story is one of my favorite stories stories in the Bible because it's one of those stories that sticks with me and challenges me and, and quite honestly after it steps on my toes lightens my load and helps me interact with Jesus in a whole new way. So we're going to be talking about that in Luke chapter 10 if you want to go ahead and open your Bibles up to that. While you're turning there I want to tell you the story behind the story. This is what happens leading up to that story in Luke chapter 10. It begins with a, a man who has an interaction with Jesus. And this man is a man that the Bible refers to as an expert in the law. What that means is he has made a living. Um, he has built a reputation off of his in-depth knowledge of the Old Testament, what it says and what other people have said about it. Well, this man, having all this knowledge of the Old Testament, New Testament hasn't been written yet, so he understands the Bible through and through, and he comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? In other words, he says, Jesus, what are the rules of faith? What are the entrance requirements to get me into heaven? Now, that's not that crazy of a question, is it? I mean, we're all hardwired with this deep down desire to know the rules, to know how far is too far, to know what exactly we can get away with. Think about it as far as driving. Um, when it comes to driving, we want to know the speed limit. And if we don't care anything about the speed limit, uh, because you live in Milledgeville and nobody does, you at least want to know uh, what that number is that you can go before you get pulled over and you get a ticket. When it comes to eating, we, we all want to know how far can I go, how much can I eat before I cross that line and become a circle, you know? We also, we want to know when it comes to shopping, we're like, how many times can I swipe this card? You know, Black Friday is coming up. How many times can I swipe that card before my spouse gets notified by the bank and, uh, and things go south and either they or the bank cuts up my card? When it comes to football, we all want to know why, why was that call made? Can we go back and watch it again so we can determine whether or not what they did really justified a new set of downs or even an ejection? Listen, we're hardwired with this curiosity for the rules, even if we have no desire to obey them. Why would our relationship with Jesus be any different? 
You see, this man is just saying what we're all thinking. He comes to Jesus and he says, listen, what, what is the Bible serious about and what's simply a suggestion? What do I have to follow and what do I have a little bit of wiggle room on? Now, here's why that question is so explosive, because in the Old Testament, there's over 600 laws. And not only that, but, but uh, religious leaders for years and years and years had been adding to, they had been putting subpoints on, they had been clarifying all of these rules. So now there were over a thousand, there were thousands among thousands that had been added to the Old Testament. So rather than falling into the trap and giving this man an answer, Jesus turns to him and he says, you're the expert in the law. Why don't you answer the question? What do you think we're supposed to do with our lives? The man replies, he says, we're supposed to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our strength, and with all of our mind, and we're supposed to love our neighbor as ourselves. Jesus is satisfied with the answer. He says, you're right, that's, that's perfect. Just go live your life that way, and your life is going to be good. You're, you're going to experience the things that I have in store for you. You're going to make an impact on the world around you. The man is not satisfied. He comes back again and he says, look, Jesus, I hear your answer. I hear that what I've said is okay, but who exactly is my neighbor? <laughs> like if I'm gonna love my neighbor, I gotta know who my neighbor is. And so he gets so bogged down in the details that he misses out on something special with Jesus. That leads us into where I want us to camp out today because that sets the stage for the story we're gonna read in Luke chapter 10. Let me ask you this. Do you ever feel like you get so bogged down in the details of religion that you miss out on the joy of a relationship with Jesus? Do you ever get so bogged down in the details of religion that you miss out on the joy of a relationship with Jesus? Let me tell you what this sometimes looks like. Uh, sometimes this looks like this for us. Sometimes we take all the good things of Christianity and, uh, and we load them into a bag that we carry on our back. And, and as a result, we say things like, you know what, I, I know I'm supposed to pray. And, uh, and if, I, if I don't pray as frequently or as eloquently as some of the people that I know, uh, man, God's going to be mad at me. And so we just kind of carry that around with us because that's a heavy weight to bear. Sometimes we say things like, you know what, I know God wants me to serve. Um, that's a good thing. God wants me to serve. He, he wants me to work in this class or to be a greeter or to be a person on the cameras or any other number of responsibilities. And, and I know if I miss one because I've got something else going on, God's going to be angry and he's going to be mad and I'm going to disappoint him and, and things are just not going to be good. You know, sometimes we think things like, you know what, there's this temptation that I struggle with on a regular basis, this thing that keeps coming back up and attacking me, and, and I feel like if I give into it just one more time, God's going to be done. He's just going to walk away. How could he forgive me if I do that again? So I, I've got to maintain this so that I don't slip up again, and we carry that around in our bags. And then we say things like, you know what, if I don't love my spouse like Christ loved the church, if I don't parent my kids with patience and joy, if I'm, if I'm not telling my coworkers about Jesus, if I'm not doing the things that he wants me to do, then I'm just going to be a disappointment to God and I'm going to let him down. And so what we do is we put all those things in our bag called Christianity and we carry it around on our backs and it weighs on us in a big, heavy way. Listen, have you ever carried your relationship with Jesus around like this? like a heavy burden? Have you ever been so loaded down with good things 
that you miss out on the best thing, which is a relationship with Jesus Christ? Listen, this is where the story picks up. This is the story of two sisters, Mary and Martha, and it's strategically placed within the context of this tension so that we can experience the freedom of a relationship with Jesus Christ. So that's where we're going to pick up in Luke chapter 10. We're going to read starting in verse 38. This is what it says. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. Listen, at this point, Martha is preparing a banquet for Jesus. That's a big deal. I clean the house when pest control comes over. Anybody else? Okay, I can't imagine preparing for Jesus to be in my house. You know, the Bible teaches that Jesus stands at the door and he knocks. You know what it also suggests is that Jesus stands at the door and knows what kind of clutter we shoved behind it. Like having Jesus in our home would be an intimidating thing, but Martha invites him anyway. Not only is it intimidating to have Jesus in your house, um, Jesus isn't traveling alone. Jesus is traveling with a group of at least 12 other people, and she's opening her home to all of these different people. This is an expensive commitment. This is a time-consuming commitment. But get this, Martha loves Jesus, and she wants to demonstrate that love through her actions. I want you to remember that as we read the next part of this story. Starting in verse 39, it says, She had a sister, Martha had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Raise your hand if you have a lazy sibling. Y'all put your hands down. This is terrible. It's church. Appreciate your honesty. The one time you participate, all right? That's how Martha feels. Listen, she's busy working for Jesus. She's doing all this good stuff. She's cooking and she's cleaning. She's attending to his every need. But every single time that she passes through the living room, she's growing in frustration. You know, she's getting angrier and angrier and angrier as she sees Mary just sitting at Jesus' feet. And at the peak of her frustration, she lashes out at Jesus and she says, why don't you make my sister do her fair share? Why don't you make her pull her own weight? You see, the phrase she uses here would be a phrase that would also be used of two oxen in one yoke, um, pulling the shared weight so that they can accomplish more together. In Martha's mind, the only way to love Jesus is to do things for Jesus. And if that's true, just imagine how much more they could love Jesus if they did it together. But here's what we know about Mary. Mary has chosen what is better. She's chosen a different way to love Jesus. She's chosen to love Jesus by sitting at his side. She's chosen to love Jesus by listening to his words. She's chosen to love Jesus by just being present in the moment with him. Listen, Martha is confident in the reaction she expects from Jesus. Martha fully believes that she's going to be the hero of this story. Why else would you approach Jesus like that? She believes she's going to be the hero of the story. She believes generations are going to talk about her faithfulness and her love because of the way she's demonstrating that to Jesus and that Mary is going to be the villain of the story, but Jesus surprises her with his answer. This is what he says, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. 
Now listen, this is what's important to understand about Jesus' response. He does not say that Martha is doing anything wrong. You see, Jesus probably enjoys the cooking. Jesus probably appreciates the cleanliness of the house. Look, when it comes to hospitality, I believe that Martha has got an admirable um, attitude about her and an admirable way of demonstrating her love, but her response demonstrated that she was burdened by the weight of that demonstration of love. Her reaction, her comments to Jesus would lead us to believe that she's carrying around these good deeds in a way that weighs her down and is heavy on her back. And so this is what Jesus says to her. He says, if you want a better option, I've got one available to you. If you want a lighter load, I can provide one for you. Listen, there's a time to work. There's a time to be disciplined. But more importantly, there's a Jesus who wants us to rest in his presence and experience what he has to offer. Listen, our spiritual lives don't have to be filled to the brim with good things. Sometimes we can put that stuff down for the sake of experiencing the best thing, and that's a relationship with Jesus Christ. Here's my sermon in a sentence. Put down the good when it interferes with the best. Put down the good when it interferes with the best. Don't be afraid to abandon the good things for the best thing. The best thing was, and it always will be, relationship with Jesus Christ. Let me give you three things, three statements that are going to support and clarify this and hopefully help you apply this to your life. The first one is this, beware of the barrenness of busyness. Beware of the barrenness of busyness. I stole that phrase from a book that our staff is reading by a guy named Gordon McDonald. I would tell you what the book is called, but I lost it and my homework is due tomorrow. So if anybody sees a book laying around by a guy named Gordon McDonald, please return it to me. But when I read this quote, it, it stood out to me. It resonated with me. And I, I believe it resonated with the text. And I think it probably resonates with you as well. You see, Martha is busy. And she believes that her busyness is her accomplishment. As a result, she's so focused on what she could do for Jesus that she's not spending time seeing what Jesus wants to offer to her. I bet you've been there before. When I was a kid... I used to say two words that got me in trouble all the time. Um, these are probably two different words than the words that you've said to get you in trouble when you were a kid. Um, these are words I can say from the stage. But I used to say, I'm bored. And when I would say those words, my dad's eyes would turn red, he grew horns, and he would attack. Um, those were terrible words to utter in my house because if I was bored, he could fix that. He could give me something to do. He could make sure that I was never bored again. And I just think that's a terrible thing as a parent to do to your kid. And so I was saying that to my kid the other day. Isn't that the way it works? We repeat all of those same things. But my kid said, I'm bored. And I said, I'll give you something to do. I got a to-do list this long. Why don't you get in there and clean something for me? But it was in that moment that I realized our world has this high value and priority on, on busyness and productivity. We're that way at school, we're that way at work, and we're even that way at home. And naturally, because we have that mindset in all of those environments, we tend to have that mindset in our relationship with Jesus as well. You see, we get to this point where we assume that Jesus is angry at us, or that he's frustrated with us, 
if we prioritize time just to sit in his presence and do nothing. But Jesus said to Martha, he says, you're worried and upset about many things. You're tote stressed out about many things. But only one thing is needed. We were not made to do things for Jesus as much as we were made to be present with Jesus. Let me show you some verses in the Bible. Psalm 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am God. Exodus 14.14 uh, 14 says, The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. The next one, Psalm 37.7 says, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Let me ask you something. When was the last time you got still in the presence of God? Kevin and I were away at a conference this week, a pastor's conference in California, and there's thousands of pastors that were gathered in the room, and one of the speakers got up and he said this. He said, it scares me how much ministry I can accomplish without prayer. The whole room gasped like we had just got kicked in the gut. Ouch! Because listen, whether you're a pastor or whether you're a volunteer or whether you're a Christian who's just trying to live your life in a way that honors God, it's dangerous to try and do it apart from the power of God. Listen, my cell phone is a powerful tool. I use my cell phone to do all sorts of stuff. I've heard it said that there's more technology in our cell phones than there was in the, the, the lunar landing that took place. You know, there's, there's so much technology at our fingertips. We can accomplish amazing things. But if we don't take time to plug it into the power source, all it's going to become is an expensive paperweight. Listen, that's what our spiritual lives are like. When it comes to Christianity, activity does not mean accomplishment. Busy does not mean better. And overloaded does not mean outperforming. When it comes to our relationship with Jesus, he is our prize. He is our strategy. And he is our source of power. We are human beings, not human doings. And it's okay every once in a while to just say, I want to be in the presence of Jesus. Here's the next thing that I want you to take away from this. Comparison creates discontent. Comparison creates discontent. Listen, this is the heart of the story behind Martha. What she was doing was not wrong. What she was doing was not bad. As a matter of fact, a lot of the things that she was doing were good, but the discontent that she felt happened when she compared her demonstration of love to her sister's demonstration of love. Look at what it says in Galatians chapter 6, verses 4 through 5. Each one should test their own actions, not the actions of their sister. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else, for each one should carry their own load. Here's what I know. In a room like this, with all these people gathered together, some of you are fired up by this message because you needed to hear this. You needed to hear that it's okay to put everything else down, even the good stuff, for the sake of experiencing the best stuff, and that's a relationship with Jesus Christ. But some of you are uncomfortable by this. Some of you might even be frustrated by this because it seems to downplay the, the habits and the disciplines and the decisions that fuel your relationship with Jesus Christ. Listen, let me say this, and I want to say it really, really clearly. If it fuels your passion and drives you closer to Jesus, don't you dare put it down. 
If you're using those bricks to pave the way to Jesus, then keep paving so that you can get there faster. But here's the thing. If you're carrying around those bricks like a heavy backpack load on your back, then you need to be willing to say there's a heart issue. And you need to spend time in the presence of Jesus so those disciplines, decisions, and habits can make any kind of impact on your life and bring you closer to Jesus. Listen, spiritual action is designed to be the fuel for the fire of your relationship with Jesus, not the end result we aspire to. I'm going to say that again because I think that's going to impact somebody's life today. Spiritual action is designed to be fuel for the fire of your relationship with Jesus and not the end result we aspire to. Listen, when it comes to our relationship with Jesus, if it feels like it's a long chore, then we've got to go back and fix the relationship so that we can get something out of the disciplines. Can I be real transparent with you for just a minute? In a place that I struggle with this, um, I get to stand on this stage, and I'm incredibly grateful for that. And I share this stage with some amazing communicators. And Mike is gracious enough to share it with me. I'm just, I'm in awe of what Mike does. And Mike stands up here on this stage, and, and he, he says things about his disciplines and the things that he does to, to grow closer to Christ and to combat some of the things that are going on in his life. And one of those is he talks about his gratitude journal. He says every single day he takes time just to write down things he's grateful for. And in writing down the things that he's grateful for, it shifts his mindset and brings him closer to Jesus. And every time he says that, I'm challenged. I mean, I'm challenged because that's a struggle of mine. And I think if I could just be like him, if I could just do what he does, I would be a better person. I would experience more of Jesus. I've got to be like Mike so that I can experience Jesus. And I set off and I do it for a day. I do it for two. I do it for three. I stop finding things to be grateful for by day four. And all of a sudden I drop off and I don't do it anymore. And then something terrible happens. Then I become discouraged because I believe that I'll never be the kind of Christian that Mike is. I'll never be the kind of person that experiences the things that he gets to experience. Here's what I have to come to the realization of. And I have to do this on a regular basis. Listen, God has done some amazing things in his life. God has taken him through some battles. God has taken him on some journeys. God has got him to a place where he can experience Jesus in special, unique, powerful ways. God hasn't done the same thing for me. I'm on a different journey. And I hope one day I get to that point. But until I do, I'm going to be content in what God is doing in my life and know that my acts of love, my demonstration of love is enough for Jesus. So I've got this friend from college. Her name is Catherine Mullins, and she, she just released an album. She's got a big online presence, and she shared this quote the other day. She said, be secure enough in the plan God has for you to rejoice in the plan God has for others. Isn't that powerful? That I can celebrate what God is doing in somebody else's life and the things he's done to bring them to this point, and I can still be content with what he's doing in mine. Listen, what sets your heart on fire for Jesus? If it's serving Jesus by cooking and cleaning and tending to his every need, do that. Do a lot of that and celebrate the fire that you see in others as well. Here's the third and final thing. God wants control, not compliance. God wants control, not compliance. Listen, Martha was willing to do the things that needed to be done. She was willing to check off all the boxes, but Mary wanted to be with the one that she was doing them for. 
Listen, the best parts of our relationship with Jesus can't be accomplished by a simple act of obedience because the best parts of our relationship with Jesus are about the direction of our heart that motivated the obedience in the first place. I was writing a lot of this sermon while I was on an airplane coming back from California this week. So just be grateful that I cut out like four or five illustrations about planes when I got back. I was like, oh, I was thinking that was a good one. You know, and I marked all these off, but there's one that I kept because I think it was the best one. If you've ever flown on Delta, you get this thing called the flight tracker. Anybody ever seen that? And when you're looking at it, basically what it is is you've watched all the movies you can watch. Um, You've played trivia with the person sitting next to you and won. Um, I'm just kidding. Kevin beat me bad. But you do all the things that you can do, and then you say, what am I going to look at now? And you click flight tracker. And basically you get to track where your plane is as it moves across the country. Well, there were several times that I clicked on that flight tracker just so I could watch where we were and how much farther we had to go. And let me tell you what I didn't do. When I pulled up that flight tracker, I didn't check off to make sure we had passed all the right cities. I didn't check off to make sure we had flown over all the appropriate lakes. Instead, what I did was I made sure that the nose of the plane was still pointed towards Atlanta because that was all I really cared about. Listen, that's what Christianity is about. Christianity is about direction about making sure the nose is pointed in the right direction. Obedience is a side effect, and anything different than that is an imitation of what Jesus has called us to. Our goal in life is a direction, to love Jesus and to love people. If it helps you do that, do more of it. If it's distracting you away from it, then put it down for a while, not just for the sake of obedience, but because your life is pointed towards something that matters. Listen, rules require obedience. Direction requires heart. Let's be the kind of church that says, my heart is in this and it's pointed towards Jesus and I'm not gonna let anything slow me down. Listen, if you're one of our communion servers, you can go ahead and hop up and you can start heading towards the back. For the rest of you, I wanna ask these questions. Is there, is there anything in your life that's interfering with your relationship with Jesus Christ? Is there anything in your life that's weighing you down and pulling you away from spending time with him? Are you burdened? Are you overwhelmed? Are you distracted? Now, here's what we need to do. We need to take some time to realign our priorities, to say, Jesus, you come first. Everything else is just stuff. Even the good stuff, it's just stuff, but Jesus is what matters most. Listen, I've been busy for the past couple weeks. I've been running fast. I've been running hard. And I decided to preach on this text about a month ago. And I'm so glad that I did because God used it to step on my toes and say, you can't let your time with Jesus slip for the sake of good things. I hope God's working in your heart and I hope you're experiencing similar things. But here's the caution I have for you. Over the next few minutes, we're gonna take communion. We're going to take time just to sit at the feet of Jesus. We're going to come out of it with a song that talks about the heart of worship and it all being about Jesus. Here's what I want. Over the next few minutes, don't even think about the changes that God's placing on your heart for when you get home. Don't even think about the ways this story, this this text is going to impact your life tomorrow. Here's what I want. For the next few minutes, I just want you to be present with Jesus. To just say, Jesus, you're enough. Jesus, you're everything. Jesus, the heart of worship is simply sitting at your feet and experiencing what it is you have in store for me. Don't be distracted by anything. 
Maybe after we come out of communion and we jump into a song, maybe you need to find a private place in this room. Maybe you need a place where you can get quiet. Maybe you need to sit down and put your head down. Maybe you need to open your Bible and read some scripture. Maybe you need to stand up and throw your hands up and dance. Whatever you need to do, make sure you do it with this motive, that Jesus is enough. He's all you need. He's everything. The heart of worship is all about him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come into your presence because, God, there's nothing else that deserves our time, our effort, or our energy. God, we're coming into your presence because you deserve our worship. You deserve our praise. God, you deserve to be our number one, our only priority. So, God, as we sit in your presence, and, God, we just allow you to work in our hearts, God, I pray that you move in this room in a powerful way. God, I pray that we get to experience you, not in a busy way, not in a way that we're trying to accomplish anything, not in a way that we're trying to strategize or become somebody different, God, just because we want to sit with you and see what you have in store for us. God, I pray for those of us that are stressed out, for those of us that are overwhelmed, for those of us that are fighting through busy seasons and doing so many different things, God, I pray we're able to put it down, not just physically, but God, in our hearts, put it down trust you to comfort us trust you to provide us with rest and relief God help us to experience you now I pray this in Jesus name Thanks for listening to this message. You can keep up with what's happening at Northridge on your mobile device through our Northridge Christian app. If you have any questions about Northridge, you can contact us at info at